Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Pandora, GoodPods, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I am on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, on TikTok as Let's Talk Micro, and a YouTube channel, Let's Talk Micro. So please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, leave a review if the app allows you to do so. Definitely, if you want to leave any feedback, you can do it via social media, or you can email me at letstalkmicro at outlook.com. At the same time, if you have any podcast topic suggestions, you can go ahead and leave those as well. Any feedback, any suggestions, they're always welcome and appreciated. And if you haven't listened to the previous episode of Let's Talk Micro, please go ahead and do so. You know, it was a great conversation with Amanda Reed, the program director for the St. Louis University Medical Laboratory Sciences Program. And at the same time, you know, it was pretty cool because she's also the microbiology instructor. So it was nice, you know, talking to someone about an MLS program and at the same time, you know, asking some questions about the microbiology portion of the program. You know, how is the structure? Is it like one semester of parasit and one of bacteriology? You know, what do they do? What do the, what do the students learn? How are they tested? So we talked about that and we also talked about biochemicals as technology makes advances and you see, you know, molecular and also you see instruments like the Molotov being widely used in the lab. I wanted her take on what about learning biochemicals. So it was a great microbiology conversation. And she also talked about something called name that bug that the microbiology class has, which is meant to teach students to recognize the organisms, which is something that as, as microbiologists, we should learn. You know, we do repetition, we do biochemicals. And then overall, before an, an organism goes to an instrument, we should have a pretty good idea of what we have. That way, you know, instruments malfunction, things can go wrong, but you have a good idea of what you have, and that helps prevent errors. So overall, great conversation, great episode. So check it out if you haven't already. So this week's episode is about CMPH, or the Clinical Microbiology Procedures Handbook. Those of you that work in microbiology in the lab, in clinical laboratory, maybe if you're management, a lead tech, you might, you might be familiar with this resource. You remember the binders. So this time, you know, the fifth edition just came out and the editors-in-chief of the fifth edition came to the podcast to talk about it. And they are Dr. Amy Lieber and Dr. Carrie Ann Burnham. Both of them have been guests on the podcast on different episodes. But this is the first time they were both guests at the same time. And, you know, they came to the podcast. They talked about the microbiology procedures handbook. They talk about what's new such as, you know, things such as, you know, COVID serology, fungal serology, more details on the Molotov section. The format changed. It used to be in binder format. This time it's in books. But overall, overall, you know, this is a resource that as microbiologists, 
we should be familiar with, and maybe some of you or most of you are. And this is a resource from the American Society for Microbiology, which is the ASM. And definitely, you know, it provides all the information about procedures, you know, about cultures, what media to use, how long to incubate it, what organisms you should be ruling out, ruling in. So if you're working on the bench and you're wondering, why are we not working this organism? Why are we not reporting this? That's a resource that laboratories use to basically write the SOPs about, you know, bacteriology and procedures in micro. So overall, a great resource to get familiar with. So this was a great episode, great conversation. So let's go ahead and listen to it. So some of you, or maybe most of you that work in clinical microbiology, might be familiar with the Clinical Microbiology Procedures Handbook from the ASM, or American Society for Microbiology. And if you're not, then this is a great episode for you. You know, I saw recently that the fifth edition came out, and, you know, I reached out to the editors-in-chief, and, you know, they agreed to come to the podcast, so I'm very happy about that. So with me today, they have been guests before on separate episodes. I have Dr. Amy Lieber and Dr. Carrie Ann Byrne. Doctors, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Definitely my pleasure having you here. So, um, let me know, like I mentioned, you've been here before, but let's go ahead and start with a, an introduction for the audience. Great. So, uh, my name is Amy Lieber, and I'm currently the um, Senior Director of Clinical Labs at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, and I'm also a professor of Pediatrics and Pathology at The Ohio State University, and I'm co-editor of CMPH. And my name's Carrie Ann Burnham. I'm Chief Clinical Officer for Pattern Bioscience, and I also serve as a professor in the Department of Pathology and Immunology at Washington University in St. Louis. And uh, like Amy, I'm co-editor-in-chief of ClinMicro Procedures Handbook. Welcome again. So let's go ahead and just start with you know, the most basic uh, question. So what is the Clinical Microbiology Procedures Handbook? Sure, I'll take this one. So it started in 1992, was the first edition published by Henry Eisenberg. And his idea was to have a one-stop shop for procedural-based information that helps clinical labs to operate. So since 1992, we've had four editions and we're now to the fifth edition. And it has Actually, this edition has five individual books covering 18 different sections and a wide variety of topics. I won't go through them all, but anything from procedure coding and reimbursement, um, specimen processing, aerobic and anaerobic bacteriology, mycology, parasit, um, agents of terrorism. So it's, it's meant to cover a broad range of what we actually are doing in the clinical microlab to serve as a resource for labs that maybe don't have a PhD level director or, um, you know, aren't, um, don't have a pathologist that's particularly knowledgeable about micro, gives them some place to go to get up-to-date information for how to do what they are trying to do in the lab for patient care. Yes, and definitely a, a great resource. Like, you know, like you mentioned, I've been in situations like that where a lab where, you know, there's like no PhD and so it's a great resource to have. And, you know, now, especially with the podcast, like I've been definitely using it a lot. 
and I have that and I you know I use it when I'm researching a topic along with the with the manual of clinical microbiology. So there's some very amazing resources. So how is this information obtained? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so as Amy mentioned, there's been several editions. So for something that's been in the book before, definitely the legacy chapter would be used as a starting point. Um, but the information to populate the chapters comes from a lot of different resources. Of course, looking to the literature, especially looking to see what's new in the literature, what's known about best practice or what's known about a particular organism or the way an assay functions, looking at things like guidance documents, so things from CLSI or FDA or ISO standards. Um, and then as it turns out, as many of us are well aware, some of what we do in the micro lab might not be well documented in the literature. It might come from a wealth of experience, something you've done hundreds of times. Um, and so we do try to have authors who have a lot of expertise in each area leading those chapters. Um, so all of that comes together um, and the chapter author would go ahead and, and write it into the SOP in the prescribed format and then it would be reviewed by the section editor. Um, so literature, guidance documents, lab director experience. Um, Amy, anything you'd like to add to that? Um, no, but I, I just think it's so true that um, a lot of this has a lot of historical background that's not in the literature, but we want to have at least one place where it's written down um, so that we can have some kind of reference for these procedures so they're all done the same. That, that's really key is that if we all perform things similarly, we can get similar results no matter what lab we're in. I think that's a great point. And um, sometimes different regulatory bodies see things differently. For example, in susceptibility, CLSI sometimes has different guidelines than UCASC, for example. And so to make this a global book, but also to help people understand that you have to use the guideline you're following for good interpretation, we'll try to have charts where we point out the differences between the different agencies as well, just to really bring visibility to that for laboratory staff. Okay. And, uh, you know, the next question is also, it is helpful for everyone, but I think also for people that are just, you know, coming in brand new, you know, medical lab scientists, you're starting to work in micro. So you see all this information, you know, on how to work your cultures or, you know, what to do, your guidance. So how does the information that's in the book, you know, relate to the work that we do in clinical micro in the lab? Oh, I'm probably a little biased, but I think it directly relates to the work that we all do in the lab. Um, so the, the SOP part, the analytical part, is often a step-by-step -step guide that's meant to really guide us in our work. Um, but of course, we do our best work when we understand the why behind the work. So it starts with a preamble to help point out um, what are important considerations, what does the literature tell us about that topic or SOP, pre-analytical considerations, because we know our testing is only as good as what we start with. And then post-analytical. So for example, what report comments might we append to make our work more interpretable to the end user? Um, and so really each part of the book is meant to span that continuum of laboratory testing, help the end user understand all of those whys and create the best product. Yeah, and I'll just chime in that um, literally we'll go to it. For example, the other day, we don't routinely do satelliting testing. So and we look to CMPH to, to learn how to do that procedure. So it's something we don't do very regularly, 
but now we have a resource to say step by step, how do we do this to ideas like a particularly interesting organism? So it's very practical, I think. Um, and we hope to design it so it is usable on the bench at the bench level. Something that's just sort of funny to add on about that is for some of the chapters, it's actually kind of tricky to pick which section of the book it should be in. Certain topics, do they belong in molecular or do they belong in aerobic bacteriology, like group A strep, for example, um, or even deciding like one of our new sections for blood culture, should it be separate or should it be incorporated into other sections? Um, a lot of the vision is thinking about how labs are typically um, separated into benches or organized and to try to have the book fit to that. But our labs are all evolving so quickly, that's not always as straightforward as it seems. Yeah, you know, I like how you said about, the, you know, as, as to the why and definitely, you know, me as a, as a medical lab scientist that I'm there every day and, you know, I always, always want to understand, yeah, the why and knowing your resources and it definitely helps you, you know, it makes you better at your job when you have a better understanding. So that's something that using this medium, I try to impart and hopefully, you know, medical lab scientists or other or microbiologists are listening. They definitely, you know, they can take on this and because definitely it's, it's it's very helpful and for the audience out there, it's definitely a lot of great information from like Gramstein procedure to like, you know, how to process a, a tissue, how to prepare the slide, depending on the type of sample that you have, uh, even, you know, how to process, you know, uh, work with samples, you know, like a potential bioterror agents, you know, like your anthrax and your, your senior pestis and stuff like that. So it's, it's definitely a great, a great resource that, everyone in microbiology should be familiar with. Okay, so, you know, you mentioned, so you, you know, editor-in-chief. So what does an editor-in-chief do? Is this position like a permanent thing or does it change with every edition? How does it work? Well, um, it doesn't change with every edition. And actually, there have only been now four editors-in-chief, Henry Eisenberg, Lynn Garcia, myself, and now Carrie Ann. So it, it kind of turns over with the um, lifespan of the, the the book and then also who's like active professionally. And certainly our role is to kind of shape the content on a global level to decide what um, needs to stay in the book. Those tried and true things like gram stain, culture-based methods, and what needs to be added in new based on um, newer technologies. We also identify the section editors. So there are 18 sections. Carrie Ann and I couldn't directly edit that or write it. So there are a lot of people that are involved. So we pick section editors based on their expertise, and then they go out and search out authors to author each of these separate chapters or SOPs. So it's quite a long and involved process to bring something from uh, the beginning to print. And the section editor really is the kind of um, coach of all of it, keeping things on process, on time, making sure the content is good and reviewing it for final approval. So it, it's a lot of steps. And really, I couldn't have been more blessed to have Carrie Ann come on board because this document is so big and there's so much content. It's really very hard for one person to really oversee all of it. So I was so happy to have Carrie Ann come on board. And I was so lucky to have Amy as a, a mentor who had been through it before, um, so I could really learn from her about the process. It, it is a gargantuan book, and so understanding the process is very useful. 
Um, I, I'm also just super grateful to our section editors. I know Amy alluded to it, but just really to give them a shout out. They they were creative. They were the experts. They knew the right people to work on all of the chapters. And it just was a really fun group who was very devoted to making the product the best it could be and doing the updates and getting all the pictures. Um, so very happy with it. We, we did in the end review all of the proofs for all of the chapters. So for a five volume book, um, you know, that's no joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also want to give a shout out to um, someone specifically, Ellen Fox from ASM Press. So she was the managing editor from the publication side. And uh, let's just say Ellen kept us all in order, kept, kept the trains running, um, held all of us to a very high degree of excellence and high standards. And I'm just not quite sure how we could have gotten through it without Ellen as well. Absolutely. Okay. And so, you know, as we mentioned, so this is the fifth edition. So uh, what's new in this edition? Well, I will say every single um, section in this book was reviewed and updated from the fourth edition. So it should all be relatively current. And I will say this happened during COVID. So it was quite a challenging process, uh, hearkening back to Ellen, who helped us through this. It was a challenging time for all of us to be writing and editing, but we, we, we soldiered through, and there is a lot of new material in here, particularly I, I'd like to highlight that we uh, really made an effort to get more images in. Um, these are color images, and they really add to the learning, particularly as you're learning on the bench, the colors of biochemicals or the look of something is very important. Um, the sections that I was involved with, the molecular section, obviously was uh, updated. That's a very fast moving area. And actually SARS-CoV-2 was really um, got onto the, um, we'll talk about this in a minute, the, the website, it was made available very quickly. Um, also uh, the virology section was updated. A lot of that had to do with COVID. People wanted to be able to um, isolate virus um, in a research setting and possibly in a clinical setting. And there's no other resource that really had virology. So we updated that. And then finally, um, the serology section was really greatly expanded. Not only did we add COVID serologies, but fungal serologies, things that we do day in and day out. And I think it really has improved um, that section in a number. And I know Carrie Ann has some particular highlights she's proud of. There were a couple of brand new sections for the book and, and they were content that existed in the book in a kind of a more compact way before there were new sections. But one of the new sections is about blood cultures, really recognizing blood cultures are a very high volume specimen in the lab. And now there's so many things that are done with positive blood cultures, molecular tests, rapid phenotypic tests. Um, and to really try to highlight the workflow across that. And there's a, a lovely new chapter in that as well, really related to validation um, as well. And then the Malditoff section has been pulled out and expanded into its own section. And Malditoff has become the mainstay of identification in, in most of our laboratories. So I think that's worthy of its own section as well. Um, uh, Amy pointed out a lot of the other great highlights. I think one of the things that sort of 
fun about the virology is a lot of the new content was actually content that had been retired, so to speak, that had to get pulled out from the archives, um, which I think makes the point that even some of the procedures in the book that maybe if they seem like we don't do them as much anymore, it's great to have this one-stop shop where it's all there. So if you do need to dust off something that's more historical, you have a, a great reference and exact step-by-step -step how to. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Definitely. Sometimes, you know, you never know if you're going to need something like that. And it's so convenient having it in one place. It's definitely very helpful. We've all been there when we're trying to, you know, look for something and, you know, we're searching and it's difficult and, and time consuming. And you never know what new pathogen will emerge. So. Yes, definitely. So, you know, with, um, let's go ahead and talk about the cover art. And I saw that also, you know, the book, it, it changed. I got, I had the fourth edition. So I had, there was the binders, which, you know, it has pros and cons. I mean, if you need a specific session, you take it out and it was great to take it to another place. I, I like the books, you know, I saw them, my, my boss on my hospital, they, they already have them and they look very nice. So what can you tell me about the cover art and, you know, what is the idea behind it and what does it represent? It's a great question. I have a copy of it here for those who are looking. So I, I really love what the cover art represents. When we were trying to come up with the concept, there were some things we talked about. One is that we really wanted to convey that this was meant to be a book that could be used globally and have procedures that would relate really to all parts of the world. Also that microbiology is global. And I think the pandemic has shown us that pathogens move quickly and they can bring us together. Um, and then we also wanted to really convey that people are the engine that makes Clean Micro work. So we wanted some, some element of people in the picture as well. So that's where the hand holding the dish that looks global, sort of what the epicenters came from. Um, Amy, anything about it? Any part of the concept I missed you wanted to add? No, I just think that really we often think it's U.S. centric, but it is used in other countries. So um, we wanted to communicate that and, and we've tried to be conscious of that with the content, too, I think. I think in terms of the binder versus the textbook, as you said, there's pros and cons to both. I think the new books look really beautiful. I noticed some of our users, as you mentioned, pulling pulling it out of the binder and not having that maybe will be an adjustment. And and, it, and we would like to hear the feedback if it does impact how you're using the book. So um, we can't change it overnight, but we'll, we'll keep that in mind for the next print edition. Um, again, it, it was it was a, a change that was made rather last minute. Um, so we, we have mixed feelings. I have mixed feelings about it. It does look wonderful. It fits very nicely on your bookshelf, doesn't kind of fall over, but uh, we'll see how it impacts its use yeah i mean personally with with the binder i you know i normally i i work from one place with it when i'm looking at it and um maybe i'm some few times i needed to pull some things out you know take if i'm going to the library or something when i'm teaching or stuff like that but but overall yeah i kind of that's what i i heard you know like at my hospital that the whole taking but the books they look really nice and they're not really big either so they're just it's like a nice a nice size and and we tried to divide it into meaningful related sections and each book has on its spine a little bit about the content so it helps you pick what uh section you need okay and so right so we kind of 
barely touch on it, but what about, uh, is there an online resource for, you know, accessing this content? There is, it, it's a concept called Clin Micro Now from ASM Press. Um, I will say it's, if you buy the print edition of the book, you don't get the online version. You you can buy a subscription either at an individual or, or an institutional level for Clin Micro Now. And in that you get CMPH, the Manual of Clinical Micro, and then the Case Studies book. So it's very useful. It has an index where you type in the word and it'll bring up numerous things. Um, it, it has a very searchable uh, interface, but it is a separate subscription. But I think it's well worth it for a laboratory to invest in that. And the idea is that we'll be reviewing the content annually and chapters that have content that changes a lot or needs revisions, it will be updated. And so, you know, with a textbook, it's usually several years between editions. That's the life cycle of a textbook. But on ClinMicro now, we'll have the opportunity to, to do more frequent refreshes. Um, and the landing page of that will also help guide people to what some of the new updates are. Um, I, I really love the online resource. Personally, I use it almost every day. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, I was, you know, yeah, definitely. I haven't, I don't use it the, the online much, but definitely, you know, there's a lot of people out there that will definitely enjoy it and the convenience of it. Uh, you know, like I, I've talked to uh, about other resources, you know, like the CLSI and having it online there rather than having to get up and go check your binder, like a lot of people. So it's definitely very, you know, accessible and convenient. So definitely, and then uh, some sort of subscription. So if you don't, you know, you just pay, right, like a monthly or yearly, and then you don't have to purchase the actual book, but you have the access to it. Okay. Uh, is there anything else that you want to add? No, just that, uh, again, there are so many people that uh, contributed to this book. We can't even mention them all. Uh, literally hundreds of people um, that put their time and effort into it. And I really am very proud of what we've put together. And I hope it is a useful resource for bench technologists. I think they have a very hard job in this day and age and any kind of tools we can give them to help make their job better and to do better patient care, I think um, is a good thing. 100%. And we would love to hear from all of you if you have a suggestion for a chapter we should include in a future edition, or if you think we missed the mark on something, we, we would love to know. We wanna make this as useful as possible. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. There's a lot of information. You know, sometimes the SOPs are not clear or we just want to understand, you know, why are we not reporting this organism? So a lot of questions that they arise on the bench and sometimes, you know, you hear different information out there. So it's a great place to go, you know, look at the source and see, okay, you know, this is what they're saying. You know, this is you know, the guidance that they're offering on this. So, and then, you know, one thing that you mentioned, um, Dr. Lieber, about the this being used as a global resource, you know, that was one thing that as I, as I was doing this podcast and connecting with people from other countries, yeah, I definitely see that, you know, they reference to to the ASM books and they post things about, you know, the guidance and things like that. Yeah. We forget that not every lab has the access to MALDI and are still doing conventional testing with biochemicals. So you're absolutely correct. It's a wide range of laboratory types this can serve, and we always need to remember that. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Not everyone has access to MALDI, and you know, it's it's even it's interesting when when the MALDI goes down and everyone has to revert back to the to the old thing. Yes. It's just you know, it makes for interesting days in the lab. Well, you know, uh, 
Dr. Lieber and Dr. Burnham, you know, definitely it's been great having you here again. You know, this was very informative and I hope the audience enjoys it. So thank you for taking the time to come in to Let's Talk Micro. Thank you. Thank you for hosting us. It was so fun to have this conversation with you both. Yes, indeed. Thank you. My pleasure. And then, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy learning about the Clinical Microbiology Procedure Handbook. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. So this is the, this is a great resource. Um, so if you're wondering, you know, what to do with this organism or this source, or you have questions, it is great. You know, it is available for purchase. So as clinical microbiologists. This is a great resource to have. And this is from the American Society for Microbiology. So definitely, I recommend it. Thank you for listening. I hope you had a great lab week last week. You know, as always, it is great talking to you here. So thank you for your support. Please continue downloading episodes. As always, continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. We do such great work. And stay tuned. Great things coming your way. As always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.